So I'll be reading, beginning at the fourth verse, I'm going to add that because it's really a continuation into the rest of the, the verses for today, but it begins at the fourth verse of the first chapter of Hebrews. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So last week we, we had a talk about how Jesus Christ, the Son, the second distinct person of the Trinity, is an important foundation for our Christian faith. God's word throughout the Bible shows us that God is both Christ, Jesus Christ is both the creator and the sustainer of creation. The main idea here, in case you didn't get it from those verses in, in the chapter, is that Jesus Christ is much more superior to angels. Angels! <laughs> That's something I never really thought of, that, yeah, I can't wait till I preach about angels. But here it is, right in the first chapter of Hebrews. And it's there for a reason. So we're going to try and unpack what exactly angels are and what they mean. And if you notice, there was a series of Old Testament verses. There were actually seven quotations from the Old Testament, and one, at least, was taken from each of the different um, historical books. of the. They divide them. There's historical books, historical and wisdom literature. literature. There's the 
the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. There's the prophets. So we actually had scripture, holy scripture taken from Psalms, taken from Second Samuel, from Deuteronomy, from Isaiah, and from Genesis. This is what makes it, the people who study this kind of stuff, they said, whoever wrote this book of Hebrews, whoever God inspired to write this letter, they had to have a really well founding of Old Testament scriptures. They had to know their verses. Because each of these passages that they selected show how Jesus' stature as the Son of God is much superior to angels. So the first question we have to try and understand is, why about, why all this discussion about angels? God somehow decided that this need to be talked about. Why? Why do we have to worry about angels? Especially like, if someone was going to come up to me after service today and say, you know what, Pastor Kevin, I've been giving this Christian faith a, you know, a lot of thought, and I think I'm just going to give up my faith. I just don't think it's worth it. And if I responded to that by saying, you know, don't give up. No way. Don't give up. <clears throat> Jesus is better than angels. I don't think most of you would say, you know, you're right. I'm going to keep my faith based on that. But that's where this book of Hebrews starts. And that message still is relevant to us today. I think possibly because of the world is not that different. Again, most scholarship believes this letter was written to a persecuted group, maybe even a small group of people who had converted from Judaism. They're these new Christians and they're coming under persecution. So they're thinking, you know what? Maybe it's a little, be a little better if I go back to being and celebrating Judaism. Because the world just can feel like it's against us so many times. But the Bible, God's word, constantly reminds us that Jesus is the one who conquered sin and death. He's the one who gives us hope for the future. Knowing that Jesus Christ is superior to angels even, can help us strengthen our faith and persevere in our faith and our life. We need to remember this just like those early Christian converts. And why? Because even people today, even good solid Christians, sometimes want to place angels on the same level or even above the Son, Jesus Christ. It happened in the early church, and it still happens today. Let's look a little bit about what God's word says about angels, kind of get a, a grasp about it. First, they have to be real beings. According to God's word, they're real beings. However, what their purpose is, we really can't understand without really thinking about it, studying it. They pop up in the Bible many times. They're mentioned over actually a hundred times in the Old Testament and over a hundred and sixty times in the New Testament. And something that many people have, they think about guardian angels. 
Maybe you've thought, oh, I'm glad my guardian angel was with me today. Where do we get that concept from? Because it's not mentioned in the Bible. Even though it's a popular belief, even among Christian people. And the idea of a guardian angel, for those who might not know, is the idea that you actually have a, a specific angel that's watching over you to protect you and help guide you on the right path. Where did that idea come from? Actually comes from ancient Judaism. There's a book called the Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish oral law. Now, we as Christians do not consider the Talmud as holy and authoritative scripture. But in that Talmud, there's a story of a man who was saved from death by an angel. And the angel actually told him, I've been assigned to protect you since your birth. So this belief in guardian angels, which happened in early Judaism, where did most of the early Christians come from? They were converts from Judaism. So it kind of carried over this belief about guardian angels. So here, that might be why God decided, hey, let's talk about angels and hey, they're important. But Jesus is superior to angels. What are some other things that God's word tells us about angels? They exist in vast numbers. In Revelation, they're described as assembling in a great throng, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I don't know what a myriad is, but it sounds like it's a lot. In many cases, they're invisible. In the story of Balaam, when the Lord had to open his eyes because he was trying to go somewhere where he, he, he couldn't, he was blocked. So the Lord opened his eyes so he could see it was actually an angel blocking his way. Sometimes they're visible. A lot of times when they, they're visible, they appear as men. They're human-like. So people at first mistake them for men. Sometimes they shine with a glorious light. I think of the the birth narrative, when the shepherds and the angels came to the shepherds in the field, they were shining in the glory. Other times they appeared as fabulous winged creatures, cherubim and seraphim. So what exactly are angels? The Hebrew and the Greek words, if we take those original language, what they literally mean is message bearer. They're messengers. They're divine, cosmic, divinely created messengers. And as God's messengers, they have this immense power that they're given. For example, to read through God's word, they've held off entire armies. They've delivered people from prison, shackled in chains. Yet despite all their excellence, their significance dwindles in the presence of Christ. Jesus Christ is superior to angels. So what does that mean? What can we take that knowledge? Okay, I get it, Pastor. You're saying, you know, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, Jesus is much more better than angels. What does that mean? And let's begin with a conversation and see what you think. 
because most of us here, maybe not you, David, have been around us just say a few decades or more. We have more experience than some of those young whippersnappers. Now, I just ask, and maybe this will apply to you, maybe it won't, but in my own life, it certainly does. Think back to the time in your life when your faith has been growing. You feel your faith getting stronger, and maybe you've made the conscious decision, I'm going to do this for God's kingdom, whatever it is. And how soon after you felt that, or you made that decision, have you encountered a problem or problems in your life? that want to and cause you to be distracted in your faith and in doing God's work in the kingdom. It happened so much in my life that now I expect it. I'm no longer surprised when something happens in my life that seems to draw me away from my faith or distract me from what I'm doing for the Lord. Why does this happen? It's not God testing us, although many people like to believe that. Why are you testing me again? Lord, stop it. If we can agree that God is for us, that's what God's word says. If God is for us, who can be against us? If we agree that God is for us, then why? Why would God then cause problems for us that are going to negatively impact our faith and our work? in God's kingdom. Doesn't it make more sense that it's the evil one who's attempting to distract us from our faith and our work for God? I, I put a, a, a quote from uh, the Screwtape Letters. That's a book that was written by C.S. Lewis. He also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, many other good, but um, this book was written in 1942 during World War II. And it's written kind of uh, as a series of letters, and it's written as from the perspective of there's a senior devil, his name is Screwtape, and he's writing to his nephew, Wormwood, who's kind of a junior devil just learning the ropes. And it's written about how to tempt a person away from the path of good and get him heading towards the evil one. The letters are written from the perspective of hell. And they provide a, a it's kind of humorous, an insightful look at our human condition. If you like to read, it's an old book, but I've read it several times. It always makes several points in my life. You know, God's word makes it clear that there are powers and people that don't want us to succeed in our life and our faith. But the good news, part of the good news of Jesus Christ is that he has already delivered and defeated the powers of evil. Hallelujah. When we profess our faith in Jesus Christ, we come under the protection of God. In Hebrews the first chapter, verse 14, it shows, it shows us that salvation, the saving grace of God is so important that God sends out angels to minister to people. Again, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? 
salvation. And that Greek word that we translate into salvation among that first generation of Christians, the first century Christians, they understood it was used specifically to talk about salvation in Christ, either in its present tense, now, or in a future tense. It's used seven times in the book of Hebrews, more than any other New Testament book. So the concept of salvation clearly matters to whoever wrote this book. And also shows us that it's been with us, this idea of a saving, a salvation, has been with us from the very beginning of our Christian faith. Jesus Christ came, took on humanity, to save the world through him. But the present tense, it implies that the angels are perpetually being sent out. Like, they're just not sent out once. They're perpetually being sent out to serve, to minister to who? Those who are to inherit salvation. Notice that their task is not concerned with the natural order. You know, they're not going to, you know, stop climate change or... That's not what they're for. What are they here for? To take care of the people who are going to inherit salvation. The mission of angels is for people that are to inherit salvation. That means for the people of God, people like you and me. The whole movement of the first chapter of Hebrews is just to emphasize that Jesus has greater power and authority even over the angels. He's the greatest. And angels were like the greatest conceivable power in the old covenant, the old promise. They were, they were seen as these powerful beings. But yeah, Jesus is more. Jesus is better. Now when we think about power today, most of us aren't inclined to think about angelic power as this quintessential power. If only I could have the power of angels. Most people don't think like that today. Most of our culture thinks about power like political power or public power that comes from being famous or physical power of the athlete. We just had the NFL draft. I love watching that. Or the finance power of Wall Street or the lethal power of weapons of war we're constantly reminded of because of the aggression of the Soviet Union in Ukraine. These are the powers of the modern world. So even though we might not be as preoccupied with angelic power as were those first century Christians who were reading this, people today are still concerned, many people are still concerned with power. And we just all need to be reminded from time to time that the truest and the greatest power, the power of God himself, resides in Jesus Christ. Just as there's no angelic power that can compare with Jesus, there's not even any earthly power that can compare with Jesus. Allegiance to earthly powers is not always bad. In fact, it's often right. God tells us in his word to be allegiant to some earthly powers, says to honor the king, to honor our parents. But it becomes bad when our allegiance to earthly powers are placed above 
Jesus Christ. There's no president, there's no athlete, no entertainer, no wealthy person, no parents, no employer, no pastor, no one who has power that can compare to the power of Christ Jesus. Christ is the one who upholds the world by the might of his word. Jesus is the one whose power we should cozy up to and cling to. Jesus Christ is the one whose power we can come under, who provides us and promises us to protect us and be with us. He's the one who we can claim and align with and never worry that he's going to ask us to do things that are going to compromise the integrity of who we are as human beings and people of God. And to summarize, as we look back on this chapter, I think there's two important parts of this message of the first chapter of Hebrews. The first one, we just got to hold fast to Jesus. What he offers is more than what has, is in our past and more than what anyone or anything else can offer us. So we need to place Jesus Christ first in our lives above everything else. And secondly, we just have to trust in the power of Jesus Christ because it is greater, greater than angels. Whatever powers you might be inclined to cozy up with, don't cozy up to them in ways that compromise the integrity of your faith. As that hymn goes, my hope is built, that refrain is, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. May we always find rest in the rock of Jesus Christ. Amen. Join with me in the, as we join together in the, the creed of the ancient church. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen and amen.